next year if they get all their guys back, the people that were injured this year. And how about Sam Congato? R.W. McCorners can't catch him. And Sam Congato has just gone 64 yards for a touchdown. Are you kidding? You think Mike Sherman's becoming a believer in him now? Hey, hey, welcome back to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am for this one. This one, if uh, you're a Packer fan like myself, born and raised in, in the cheese state, this is going to be a special episode you want to hear because, um, as I have said before, this podcast is dedicated to interviewing former college and pro athletes who had a lot of success on the field, but are also having a lot of success in a different field after the sports career is over. And today's episode may be the pinnacle of that. And I've got none other than Dr. Sam Khan Gatto joining me for the podcast. So uh, Sam Khan, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for having me, Andy. Yes. And we are, we are uh, recording this on Monday, November 21st, eight days after your birthday. We're uh, happy belated birthday. Thank you. And we're going to talk about the special meaning of November 13th in Packer history as well, which will be fun. Um, but let's let's start at the beginning, Sam Khan. You know, you were born, a lot of people, especially Packer Nation, remember you, remember that special run in 2005. And long before that, though, the journey started, and it actually started in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So let's let's just start. You know, back at the day you were born, going up, you know, you guys, you guys found yourself, have, you know, coming over to the States. You came at an early age. I think you went back. Yes. And then came back to the States. Talk to us about that journey uh, being being such a young age. Yes. So uh, this, you know, I, I usually talk about it. I came to the United States when I was almost nine years old. Really, the first time I came. Uh, was when I was about six months old for uh, several months. My dad was uh, actually for a little over a year, and then we returned back to Nigeria. And so we were there. That's where I spent most of my childhood. And uh, my father was in medical, or not medical training. My father was in seminary training, and uh, he had this wonderful opportunity come up where he was given a chance. He was given a scholarship to the Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina, which was my hometown, and uh, he came um, for uh, to, to get his master's of divinity and his, his eventually his doctorate, but left my mom and my three sisters at the time in Nigeria. for So for about two years, our family was apart, but uh, my father was attending a church, and they were aware of my dad's situation, and it just felt like that was just wrong that his family was you know, 6,000 miles away in another part of the world. And uh, and so they made that right. They just a generous donation from that church and they were able to raise up funds for us to come. And so we joined them in 1991 and have been here more or less ever since. Um, and so that's that was my introduction to the United States. It was, it was uh, I remember seeing dad for the first time after not seeing him for two years. I remember being at, an, uh, at my sister and I were at a boarding school in Nigeria and so even when we were in Nigeria, we were away from my mom and dad and our family was just kind of all over the place. And it was just great to be back together as a family again. That's awesome. What was it like? I mean, at first, obviously your tr- true first visit over to the States here, you, you may not remember being so young, but when you came back and you were almost nine years old, what was that like? What was life like? Um, how do I want to say this? Adapting from living in Nigeria to now you find yourself living in the United States. <laughs> Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> um, I remember 
um, in Nigeria, being there, uh, everyone in you know, Nigeria wants to be in the United States. And I remember thinking, man, it would be amazing. And you don't really realize how hard it is to get started in the United States. It's a land of opportunity, but it really was that 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 for for a nine year old kid like myself, it was it took some adjusting. School was hard. Um, the the cultural um, differences were very pronounced, and so. Uh, I remember the first year I was there, I remember thinking to myself, I was looking forward to the day that my mom and dad would get me out of school and tell us we were going back to Nigeria. So that first year was really, really hard. Um, but in time, I think through the church and um, and through some friendships, it became a little bit more normal and um, I spoke the language, but understood the culture a little bit. And, uh, and so it was rocky. <laughs> it was very rocky. I got beat up a good bit in school. Um, and uh, but then my parents made the difficult decision to to put me in a in a boarding school that they felt like would be a good place for me to grow and develop. Uh, it was called Ben Lippin. It was a small uh, Christian boarding school that was part of the seminary that my father was attending. And I think that's really where I blossomed. Um, I think I was given the opportunity to thrive and and uh, it was just a it was just a much better environment for myself and my sister. We're talking offline about you know the fact there's about 200 million roughly 200 million people living in Nigeria and there's about 350 million here in the United States give people a perspective of geographical size comparing Nigeria to the United States yes so Nigeria is roughly the size of uh, Texas Oklahoma and Louisiana um, so it's it's still I mean it's it's not a small piece of uh, land, but compared to the United States, which is one of the biggest countries in the world by, by mass, um, it, uh, it's pretty small, um, but it has about two-thirds the amount of people in, in America. So it's the most populous country in Africa. It's one of the most populous countries in the world, um, but it's still, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's got the world's largest economy and but unfortunately, there are a lot of things about it that just um, aren't aren't good. Um, that amount of people can sometimes uh, overburden systems, and so one of the systems that's been overburdened has been really the healthcare system, um, and it's it's created a bunch of disparities uh, in in not just my particular field of EMT, but in others as well. And let's we're going to talk about that. Obviously, the work you're doing today as an ENT surgeon and the work you're doing to build Jonah's inheritance, which is just fascinating to me. But so as you were growing up here in the States, when did football first become a part of your life? Yeah, uh, football. So pretty soon after I came to the United States, I played um, after church and with my friends um, just, in, uh, just in the yard without really any um, equipment. Uh, but I, I remember around uh, at that time, my, the main sport that I loved and was was really soccer. Um, and that's obviously understandable with the World Cup going on. It's just the international sport. Um, but then as I began to assimilate into the culture, football became obviously a big part of that. And uh, all my friends were playing it. And and I, I wasn't the fastest, but I, I, I was one of the faster guys. Um, and so that obviously just gave me an advantage. And I just enjoyed playing it because I, um, uh, my friends were playing it and, and I happened to be halfway decent at it. And so it wasn't until seventh grade when I really actually had the chance to play 
And at that time, my father was visiting Nigeria and he was adamantly against me playing football for, you know, his concerns, just safety. And, and uh, it was just foreign to him. And, uh, but um, he reluctantly let me play. And well, I mean, I was on the team, but I really didn't play much that year. And, and then um, that was my introduction, seventh grade. So I, I, the following year, I came out for the team again. I got to play a little bit more, and um, I, I did I did a little bit better, actually a lot better, because I actually was playing this time. And then it just began snowballing, and my love just continued to grow. That's awesome. And I think if I have it right, you were a three three sport athlete in high school, right? Football, yeah. basketball, baseball. Yes. Um, actually, yeah. no. Um, football, basketball, soccer, and track. So. Soccer and track. Okay, I had that wrong. Um, when did you realize, because by the time it was all said and done in high school, you were an all-state running back. When did you realize, was there a moment that you realized you had an opportunity to play football at the next level, at the collegiate level? Um, so my junior year, I had a good year, but I was at a small school. And so it was hard to really know how that year stacked against um my other competition. <clears throat> and so it wasn't until my senior year, um, having another year when I actually started getting recruited, that I began thinking to myself, I may actually have a chance to do this um, at the next level. And so my, of course, every kid's dream was just to play at the best level. At the time was Florida State. I wanted to go to Florida State. And um, they were they were the perennial. They were what Alabama is now. Uh, actually, well, I mean, they were good, but maybe not seven national championships good um but uh that opportunity presented itself with really a bunch of one double a schools and or fcs schools as, as it's known now and uh, i i had a handful of offers and and one of them was to liberty university and so it really wasn't until i actually started getting recruited my, my senior year that i actually thought that, that i had a legitimate chance of, of playing yeah and of course history shows Liberty ended up making the, the, you know, the, the move up to FBS and they've mm -hmm. even had success at the FBS level, spending a, a few weeks in the top 25. It's, which right. has been really cool to see. Um, something you said, I want people listening in to hear though, especially if, if you have kids, if you're a parent with kids playing sports, you didn't get truly recruited until your senior year. Mm -hmm. And I think today, especially in the, the recruiting world that exists today, and especially in high school football, just because you're not getting recruited as a sophomore or junior doesn't mean that you don't have a chance to play at the next level. All it takes is somebody to see you at the right time. Correct. Would you, would you agree with that? I couldn't agree more. I feel like I'm the poster child for that, uh, um, for, for, for that principle. Uh, my, it wasn't, you know, I, I think working hard and growing in the quiet um, and being prepared for that moment, never really knowing when that moment will come, but when it does, just being prepared is one of the most important things that's, um, that's, that's proven to be true in my life. And that did, just didn't happen from high school to college. That was the same thing from college to pros. It wasn't until really the end of my senior year as a, as a professional, as a, as a um, college kid that, that I actually got, um, um, that I was on anybody's radar. Um, so uh, it it just, it took the right person seeing me and and granted it wasn't necessarily what I was hoping for and I wasn't ready to play at the level that I wanted to play, but um, the opportunity I got was, was the one that I took. <laughs> and so that 
you know, continued to leave the door open for other opportunities. And before I knew it, at the end of the day, I, I found myself in a position uh, with the grace of God to be able to play um, professional football. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I took a similar road in college baseball. Um, didn't get recruited all that much. In fact, going into my senior year, I only had one scholarship offer, which was to a division two program. And I got seen very late my senior year, which gave me a chance to play division one baseball. But to your point, you know, how many kids we see today that maybe didn't even excel in high school, mm -hmm. but they hit college, mm -hmm. somebody sees them, they get that one shot mm -hmm. and then they blossom. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I think the transfer portal has actually been a good thing is when you mm -hmm. get a kid who does blossom in college, he or she now may have a chance to transfer up mm -hmm. because they're competing at a whole different level now. So you go, so for you, you go to Liberty and at the time was a, a division, uh, an FCS school. Mm -hmm. But here's what I love about the NFL. How many guys you have seen go on to play at the NFL level from the FCS level? Oh, I mean, to say it, it's not a handful. I mean, it's it's buckets. Specific organizations that that really pride themselves in being able to find people um, I, that that are at that level. I think of the Patriots. The Patriots are, you know, they're they're perennial Super Bowl champions, and they don't care. They will play whoever um, gives them an opportunity to win, and they don't care where that person comes from. Um, so I, I think they have on their team a, a a a person who wasn't even. I think he was Division Three or NAI or something to that effect. So. Um, at that point, it doesn't really matter. It's the results. And I think if you continue to develop yourself and put yourself in a position to, to, to produce some of those results, you will get that chance more often than not. Yeah. And I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this statement, but I think a lot of guys who are playing at the FCS D2, D3 level, they come with a chip on their shoulder too, mm -hmm. because they remember at some point somebody didn't see them, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't recruited as highly as touted as maybe that kid that went to Alabama or Clemson. So, so you have an amazing career at, at Liberty yet you don't get drafted. Mm -hmm. And then the day comes, you know, you have a shot with the green Bay Packers It's mm -hmm. 2005 walk us through that because that had to be a very special time in your life. When all of a sudden you realize, even though you're not drafted, you still have a chance to make it at the highest level. What was that like for you? Yeah. Um, so really, my I was a I was a productive player in college, um, and it was because of my relationship with my coach. I think we developed trust and rapport with one another. That though I wasn't necessarily a, 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 a every down starter, um, I think he knew that 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 I had the physical capabilities to do it, and I think. Um, I'm, and, and I think he trusted me um, in terms of what I could, uh, you know, the, the, the disposition that I'd bring to a team. And so he made that call to the Kansas City Chiefs and they had, they put me on uh, through a relationship that he had um, with Al Saunders, who was the offensive coordinator at the time. So I was able to make that practice squad and I was on the team for about four weeks, but just as the, you know, the natural process of the NFL teams move up and, and they just shift their rosters for, injuries and a bunch of other reasons and so I was let go and so I was at home and I was training and getting ready and and I get a call from my agent saying the Green Bay Packers have had a slew of injuries and so they just want to bring you up and, and work you out and thankfully because I was still training in the middle of the season and, and trying to get ready I was able to run a very good time for the Green Bay Packers and I was very you know I was very 
thankful and, and for that chance, not knowing if I was ever going to get it again. Um, and so they put me on their practice squad and then through a slew of injuries. I mean, Amon Green went down, Najee Davenport went down, and Tony Fisher had a um, broken rib or a cracked rib that caused him to miss a game. And Richard Lee was a starting running back at the time. And so they had no others. And so they brought me up from the practice squad to back him up. And, you know, through a series of unfortunate circumstances for Richard Lee, I was put in the game and I found myself just uh, – um, playing against the uh, the uh, soon-to-be Super Bowl champions that year, the, 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 the Steelers, and, and had a fairly decent game. Let's talk about that, because I want people to hear what you just said. You go, first and foremost, you go to an FCS school, mm -hmm. Liberty. And if we all heard you correctly, you were not a everyday running back, every down running back. Mm -hmm. Now you have a shot at the NFL, but you're put on the practice squad, which right there, very few people get that chance, mm -hmm. but you're behind four running backs, Amon Green, William Henderson, Tony Fisher, and Richard Lee. Mm -hmm. Now, anybody who's a Pack fan that's listening to this remembers all four of those names. <laughs> yeah. But here, all of a sudden, you find yourself through unfortunate circumstances for the others in the backfield staring down one of the best defenses at the time. Yeah. What was that like that first time you ran on the field <laughs> and here you are behind was, I, I'm going to say something. I can't believe I'm asking. Favre was still the quarterback, correct? Correct. Yeah. Favre's at Favre, one of the greats, the legends yeah. is behind center and you're behind him. That first play you came in, what was that like? <laughs> that, um, so my, you know, Interestingly enough, um, the panic stopped when I actually stepped on the field because at that point, that was actually the first time I'd ever been on an NFL field. So I was injured uh, for uh, training camp with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I never played a down in the preseason. So <laughs> the first time I'd ever stepped on a field was an actual game. And um, technically, the first game I actually really played was the game before the, the Steelers game, and that was actually an away game with the with the Bengals. And I remember um, <laughs> um, Brett Favre knew I was wet behind the years, and and a, a pass protection was called, and and uh, and I remember thinking to myself, I know I know what my assignment is, but. Um, <laughs> And ideally, you're not really supposed to kind of give away assignments because that cues the defense in as to what the blocking scheme is. Well, I think Brett Favre didn't necessarily know or trust me. And so right before the snap, he literally points out who I'm supposed to block. And I was like, well, well I mean, I understand why he did that. I think he wanted to make sure that, that I understood who I was supposed to block so that he wasn't sacked. But... Um, but it obviously gave away our defensive, I mean, our offensive scheme and let everybody know that it was going to be a pass. But that was my first experience, and I only played about two snaps that game as a backup. Um, but my first experience as, as a, pretty much the, the guy was against the, 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 the Steelers, and that was uh, – I remember um, being a little bit afraid of Troy Palomalu because just the hair and I'd heard stories and I'd seen him and I just remember thinking to myself, uh, I mean, that defense was just big and they were physical and and I was 
I mean, I wasn't panicked. Um, I was a little nervous, but the kind that didn't, that wasn't, you know, prohibitive of a good performance. And, and when the ball was snapped, I just stopped thinking and it just, it just turned into reaction and, and it became just like any other game. That's a great way of putting. I think a lot of athletes will agree with that statement. It's once the game, the whistle blows or the whistle starts or the clock starts, you kind of stop thinking and you just start doing. And mm -hmm. you're right too about that defense. Those those that defense had some bad dudes on it. And and yeah. despite Palomalo's lovely flowing hair, yes. that guy could hit. Yes, he could. Uh, yeah. He loved to fly around back when you could hit without the the, the worry about headshots and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but now let's fast forward that same season, right? It's 2005, and you had a very special day. Um, your breakout, let's call it your breakout game, happened mm -hmm. to also fall on your birthday, mm -hmm. November 13th. Yes. Talk about that. That was, uh, that was against the Falcons. Mm -hmm. um, you scored three touchdowns. What was that like? I mean, that had to just be unbelievable. It really felt like a dream. Um, to this day, I, I sometimes wonder if that really did happen or whether I just dreamed it. Um, I think everyone was there. It was the closest game we were going to have to my hometown, my family, um, my my coaches, um, all the all the people that the most of the people that were really important to me were there. And and I remember just you know after scoring that first touchdown, thinking to myself, "Well, that was cool." And then when it, the second one happened, I was like, "Is this really happening?" And and at that point, this was, you know, I'd, I'd played a couple games before. And so now it was starting to seem uh, the game was slowing down for me considerably. And I was, to this day, it just, it, 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 I couldn't believe it was happening. And I'm not sure I'll ever have an experience like that again in my life. So this is the point of the uh, episode where Packer fan listening in says, all right, Sam, kind of got to know that first touchdown, that first attempt at the Lambeau leap. What was it like? <laughs> um, it was so my my first touchdown at uh, or my with with uh, or my first attempt at the uh, with of the Lambeau leap was was not a few, until a few weeks later. Uh, against uh, it was a Sunday night game against the Detroit Lions, and I was gassed. Um, I had run a long way, and I had run pretty fast to get there, and uh, my legs were shot. And I, what I didn't realize is that the fence for the Lambo Leap is not the same level, and so at the middle of the field, the fence is probably about you know three or four feet, but then on the sides towards the um, the ends of the, the 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 ends of the field, it's it's probably seven eight feet, and so I I, I go do the Lambo leap, thinking to myself, it's going to be a five foot fence, and I was like, no, this is like seven foot tall, and I just had nothing left in the tank, and I actually had to get pulled up, so it wasn't really much of a Lambo leap, but it's still I could I can say that I actually did one, so even though it was well, and again, the reason you were gassed is you just got done scoring a 64 yard touchdown. So yeah. let, let's not forget that either. <laughs> and so, you know, if you think about that, that short period of time from the moment you stepped on the field against the Bengals to rushing for a, a Packer rookie record, which I think still stands of mm -hmm. 171 yards for a rookie mm -hmm. running back. Mm -hmm. You be, I mean, let's be honest, you became like this instant phenomenon in the state of Wisconsin. Green Bay is not a big city to begin with. Mm -hmm. Packer fans are, they, they act like they own the team. And in reality, they do because they have ownership. You had to become an instant sensation in Green Bay. What was that like? I, I think if it was going to happen anywhere, that's where I'd want it to happen because it really did feel, um, uh, 
I mean, it, it felt like, a, you know, I was part of a small community. It felt like high school again. Um, it felt like college again. Um, it was it was special. Um, it was meaningful. I really, to this day, love the Green Bay Packer fans just because there's something about them that's a little different. Um, I ended up playing for six organizations all in all, but the support that you get from Packer fans is it's just unlike anything that I think I, I've experienced to this day in the sense that um, it's not a, a devotion um, because of, you know, this team is, uh, this, this team is something that uh, it's, it's not, it's not the same kind of devotion that you see with most other organizations. There's, there's a much deeper level of commitment um, to it. And so it's not, it's not a you know, good win, lose, or draw. The, the same level of commitment is there. And uh, fans love and, and are endear, endear themselves to, to, uh, to players. And I think it was just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain in, into words. And even now I'm searching for, for the way to describe it, but it really just felt like um, I was part of a small community that was rooting for me. And yeah. just, it's hard to reproduce that in the league. I think I think a good recent example of it too is is Buffalo fans are are, are kind of like that too. And mm -hmm. what they just did over the weekend, literally shoveling <laughs> Buffalo Bill players out of their homes so they could get to the airport to go play. That that's that's Packer Nation. And I, I've always said if there's a, a fan base that uses the word we more than they when they describe a team like there's for a lot of fans in sports there's a there is still a disconnect between the fan and the team mm -hmm. but i'd say most packer fans literally believe like they're part of the team whenever you hear them talk about the packers it's we Correct. we have to win this game we you know so so you're you're absolutely right about that and and, and as you said you went on to, to spend another five or so years playing with a, a few other teams um, and, and, and Sam Khan, you and I could sit here and talk about your Packer career, uh, for the rest of this episode, but that would be doing injustice to what you're doing today. And, and what I really want to know, and we'll talk about this is the lessons you learn making it to the highest level on the football field, how they, they have helped you today, because what you did when, when you realized your NFL, NFL career was over, I think a lot of athletes, whether it's college or pro, when that sports career is over, they don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm you had a clear plan of what you wanted to do. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think part of the beauty of my story is it's, it's really not that I didn't want to play in the National Football League. I, oftentimes it's, it's confused that, you know, I played in the National Football League and then made the decision after the fact to go to medical school when in actuality it was the opposite. Like, so when, when you're coming from a small school like Ben Lippin High School in Columbia, South Carolina, and you go to Liberty and you're not really that highly recruited and you're a backup at Liberty for, for the whole time you're there, I mean, even though you play a good bit, you don't really, you're not deluded into thinking that you actually have a legitimate chance of playing in the National Football League and you can put all of your eggs in that one basket. So I think my story allowed me to really develop other interests. Um, and I'd, I'd known for some time that I'd wanted to go to medical school and, uh, or I wanted to be a, become a doctor. And so I had been working towards that end. And so the, the pursuit for, for the National Football League was only something that I could, that I did because I, I could still do both um, and without, you know, sacrificing the other. And so 
the NFL was such a welcome opportunity. I was prepared for that, but really I was preparing for life as a physician. And so when the opportunity to play for the Packers really opened the door for me to play, you know, you know, four more years, um, I, it was, I couldn't turn that up. I couldn't turn that up. And um, medical school was always going to be there. And so when it was over, it was great because at that point, the groundwork was already laid for me to pursue medicine. And that's what I did. Um, and I'm so thankful that that that, that was there, that long before I ever started playing football, that there was a purpose beyond the game itself. And it really added so much color and richness to my NFL experience, knowing that at least it wasn't just for this time in in my life that this was actually going to serve as a springboard for for other things as well i like that I, i'm curious to know you know today we know you as dr sam congato ent specialist ent surgeon and when you were you know going through med school going through through all that did you ever have a challenge you know because you had established a brand at this point as oh that's the nfl guy mm -hmm. um did that impact you as all at all as you were going through med school and then becoming oh, yeah. a doctor because you may have had that thought like i get it guys but i'm a doctor today mm -hmm. did that impact you at all being the former athlete now physician it, it did um in good and bad ways to be honest um so um, it really was helpful in the sense that um, a lot of times with medical school and training and, and picking um, specialties, really, it's so competitive that oftentimes you really have to find something to, to stand, that, 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 that separates your application from others. And so I think it really helped in that sense that, I, you know, for ENT especially is a very competitive specialty. And I think the fact that I played in the National Football League really did help that. I'm not denying that. And um, But then at other times, I think one of the things that you learn in medical school is that you are, you know, that you will make mistakes, that you will come to the end of yourself. You you, you work long hours and you're, you're, you're extremely fatigued. And one of the benefits of, of, of that is that you learn, like, I mean, sports teaches you how to just endure physical suffering. Um, but sometimes it really does hurt when you think, man, I don't want to just be viewed as a football guy, you know, that, that that's just here um, and really has nothing else to offer. Um, it's really hard to shake that in, uh, in, in some circles, but I think for the most part, I was able to, I mean, I think you typically, once you get to know somebody, you stop seeing all the things that, 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 that color them, that make them who they are. I remember the first time I met Brett Favre, I was like, man, that's Brett Favre, you know, three-time MVP, former, you know, Super Bowl champion. Like, I remember being starstruck, but then the more time I spent with him, I was like, man, that's just a really cool guy. And I just really like that dude, not because of anything else. Like, you just don't see those things. You see the person. And so I think in time that ended up happening. That's a good point. Really good point. I think a lot of people realize that, once they get to spend time with somebody who they may have put up on a pedestal before mm -hmm. they ever met them, they just feel like there's another human being. Mm -hmm. And um, a, a side side note question I'd love to know, what's tougher, four quarters in an NFL game or a, a shift in, in residency? Uh, uh, residency by four. <laughs> I mean, they, I, I guess 
So I think there's nothing – playing in the National League, the National Football League was to some degree a little natural. Um, there was not as much thinking involved. Um, for At least the position that I played was really, you know, was really reactive. You either could or you couldn't. And so, um, yes, there was hard work involved, but ultimately, you know, I think a lot of things that you needed to do to, that you needed to play in the National Football League, like God had to give you. Um, and thankfully, I had some of those things. Um, but play, but I guess being a physician, I think to me, that seemed the most unnatural. <laughs> I think for the sheer volume of what you have to understand to be able to take care of somebody without harming them and the pressure that's there and knowing that, hey, uh, that's, you know, this first down is not, you know, is not truly a matter of life and death really does help me sleep at night. But knowing that this incision really is truly a matter of life and death or, you know, this medication is truly a matter of life and death. And I mean, I think that changes. That was much harder for me. Um, but I, I will say that the pressure that you dealt with um, or the, the techniques that you need to deal with the pressure um, that you have in the National Football League were really helpful in helping me transition to, to, to those moments in medicine when uh, they were filled with pressure. That's a, that's a, <clears throat> that's a great way of saying it. Um, you know, you, you, you were a gift to a lot of Packer fans for a couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but what I would like to spend the rest of our, our episode talking about as a gift you're trying to bring back to your, the nation you're from Nigeria mm-hmm. and, and the healthcare or lack thereof that's provided in that country. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Jonah's inheritance. Um, sure. I think it's absolutely fascinating what you and your sister, um, that Ruth is your sister, correct? Correct. She yes. Is. Uh, are doing with Jonah's inheritance. Let's, let's start with what is Jonah's inheritance. And then I'd love to get into a conversation just again about the healthcare that you provide and you see here in the States and how that compares to the healthcare currently being provided in a country like Nigeria, because I think a lot of Americans just don't have a good perspective of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it has long been my desire to, to not just be a doctor, but to be a doctor in my home country. Um, and it, I never really understood what that would look like till about 2018 during my residency. I went to, I spent about a one month rotation working at a hospital in Nigeria and really getting a good look at, um, or I, sh- I would say a better look at, at what the situation looked like on the ground. And what I saw was that you had a really, really bad system, but within that bad system, you had people who were really, really good and who were capable of making the system better. Um, but it's so hard to make a system better um, when it's so broken and sometimes it just requires um, starting something new. So I met some amazing physicians, people that were far better skilled than I was and but yet who were you know making do with really, really limited resources. And so we formed the Jonah Inheritance, which is really, um, it's, it's, it's a play on several different things. We are, um, my worldview and is, is governed by my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the, there's a reference where Jesus Christ um, calls himself um, another iteration of Jonah. And so there's a story in the Bible of Jonah and the fish. 
Um, but the idea behind Jesus Christ referencing himself as and calling himself Jonah is that he's saying that people's greatest need is ultimately me or or God, not so much healing their bodies. But then the Jonah inheritance also has a separate reference in that um, Jonah is my mother's maiden name and Gado means inheritance, you know, my dad's last name. And so my sister and I are the Jonah inheritance because we are uh, we we are both uh, led the legacy of mom and dad, and and so their names are are form the 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 actual organization itself. And so our goal is to partner with the, the Nigerian physicians and create a system and an infrastructure for them to actually apply their skills and their trade. And we're doing this by essentially providing the, the facilities, providing the space and providing the system for them to actually take care of these patients. And I think we can be one physician at a time, one community at a time. I think we can uh, we can actually change the, the, the narrative. And so my goal is ultimately to go back there and to do this long-term. And so we're, we're, we've actually purchased about 30 acres in the capital city of Abuja and we're building a medical center there and we're in the process of, of raising funds. Uh, we have We've partnered with two other physicians um, that are there and and some other um, um, para health uh, professionals, a pharmacist and a chemist. And we're developing our own little system and we look to uh, to scale this up in time. Um, it's 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 a it's a huge vision. Um, it's really colored by the fact that um, Nigeria has one of the worst healthcare infrastructures in the world. I think fourth worst. Um, it, but it, yet it has uh, one of the largest populations and and there's a need for people like myself. You know, there are 250 ENTs in the entire country and w- where I train, there are about that many in St. Louis alone. So it's uh, it's been, you know, it's been uh, a wonderful opportunity. I look forward to kind of seeing where it goes. That's uh, such a beautiful blend of the the story from the bible and mm-hmm. how that actually how that actually marries with your name and mm-hmm. i didn't realize your mother's maiden name was actually jonah which <laughs> which makes that even more powerful and and in doing my research i i think i i read that sam khan is also in the in the nigerian language truth is yes that right correct yes um and just that statistic you shared alone i want everybody listening in to hear that Nigeria's population, I'm, I'm going to round numbers, is mm-hmm. somewhere between 50 to 60% of the U.S. population. Mm-hmm. And the entire number of ENTs in that country equals the number of ENTs in one of our mid-tier size cities, St. Louis, Missouri. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So let's. I want to ask the, the, the dream question. You know, if everything goes well, Sam Khan, and that vision does play out, Five years from now, what is that vision for healthcare in Nigeria look for you? Yeah, so great question. I think five years from now, that question looks like we have an operational medical center in the capital city of Abuja, by which we're performing or we're employing primary health, uh, so primary care services and performing selected ENT procedures, and we're training physicians to do that. Our long-term, yeah, you're not asking what our 10-year goal is, but our 10-year goal is to to start developing satellite clinics with doctors that we've trained and we've we've equipped and we've said, hey, we're going to provide 
the infrastructure for you guys. We're going to provide the clinic. We're going to provide the resources. We're going to provide um, the systems for you to practice medicine. And we're going to incentivize you to do this by allowing you to keep the certain percentage of what you you make um, and so that it actually incentivizes the doctor to continue to use their skills and to stay in country because one of the main problems Nigeria has is it's actually able to train doctors, but it just can't keep them. So it's one of the top 20 largest exporters of physicians. So and, and he, you can you can actually try this if you just go to your local hospital and you just look at uh, all the physicians there, more than likely you're going to see somebody with a Nigerian name. And that goes to show you that a, a lot of Nigeria's doctors are just leaving um, because they just there's there's not a system for them to actually use their skills. So we want to find those that are really, really good. And we want to incentivize them to stay by providing them the resources and tools they need to do what they, uh, they're trained to do. And we think that in and of itself will naturally take care of the, the, the healthcare problem. You know, I think about your story from migrating to the United States to your rise in football from uh, an, uh, an unknown recruit at Liberty to an undrafted free agent to the, the, the success you had as a running back with one of the most well-known teams in NFL history. And you're sitting here today saying, you know, this is my vision to, to build this facility in Nigeria. I, if you can have the same drive you had as that athlete, Sam Khan, I have no doubt you're going to build this facility in Nigeria. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, and my question for you, though, more importantly, is for the people who are listening in, I mean, to help make this vision a reality, how can we, the community, the, the people who know you and know your story, help support this? What is the best way to do that? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, really, the best way to support, right now we're in the process of uh, our capital campaign. So we need about 15 to 20 million dollars to build the facility total um, which is actually not that much for us for the kind of facility we're talking about um, but our first step right now is we need about 34 forty thousand dollars to build a wall so we have a property we have about 27 acres and in uh, in Nigeria before you start doing any kind of construction you need to secure it you need to put a a, a, a wall around 27 to 38, 27 to 28 acres. And so that's a pretty big wall. And so uh, we, we are trying to raise about $30,000, $40,000 to put that wall up. Um, and then ultimately our long-term goal is to raise about 15 to $20 million to build this facility. And, um, and really we, we, we think um, that that's gonna be more than enough to actually get us started um, long-term but we, we, we trust that um, there are enough people out there who have a heart for it. And we're going to take our time. The, the, re, the, the approach we're taking is, is the long-term approach. It, I may not see it in my lifetime, and that is okay. But we're going to continue to work until we see it come into, into fruition. That's, uh, that's the definition of a vision, something you know is probably going to outlast your lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to apologize. I used the word migration. What I meant was immigration. <laughs> Misappropriate use of words. I just sat there going, what did you just say? Oh, um, so I apologize for that.
No. Um, but if somebody did want to support this, is listening, they say, okay, how do I support this financially, SamCon? What is the easiest way to do that? Yes, the easiest way to do that is go to the thejonahinheritance.org, the Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, inheritance, usual spelling, .org. And feel free to give there. Um, if not, you can also email me at skgatto at thejonahinheritance.org as well. And I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes. My last question for you, um, it's a question I'd like to ask everybody. When you look back on your NFL career and now your career in the medical world, how has your NFL career impacted what you do today? When you think of the mindset of an athlete, and now you now it's the mindset of a physician. What role has that mindset of being an athlete played on your career today? Yeah, there, you know, I, I've been asked that question before, and it's so hard to answer that in 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 the time that I'm given because there's so much. The first two that come to mind is I, like I said before, I think my faith is a is really a big part of what drives really everything. And for me, it's always been with the mindset that there that that whatever good comes from me, I can, is, is, it's not, it's only given to me by God himself. And so it's really, it, it's allowed me to kind of walk this line between having a confidence to be able to do certain crazy things like, you know, want to play in the national football league, but yet still understanding that, Hey, you know, you didn't get here by yourself. Um, there were parents, there were coaches, there were friends, there were so many people that God brought into my life to allow this to happen. So that vision, seeing something as special as playing for the Green Bay Packers, um, has given me the confidence to dream even bigger and crazier things like this medical center. And it's allowed me to think to myself, yes, I can dream and envision something like this, understanding that Yes, if I work, that could potentially happen, but it's not going to happen by by myself, by just my hands. God is going to need to bring people. He's going to need to bring situations to actually help this come into fruition. Um, another thing is really the focus that it takes um, to, to do something at a high level. I think one of the, the, the beautiful things about the NFL, which can be really harmful and to, to some people, is the idea that at the end of the day, results matter. Um, your intentions are great, but you know if you don't get that first down, if you don't score that touchdown, it doesn't really matter what you intend. What, what, you, what you do matters. The outcome is, in, in certain times in life, really makes a difference. And that's... Uh, that's really helped me understand that, especially transitioning to medicine, when sometimes it doesn't really matter what you intend. Like if a life is on the line, you just have to tie that knot or you have to prescribe the right medicine. And I think um, applying to the, to, to the, the Jonah inheritance, I think the desire to have this, to see this medical center is good, but falling short is really not an option. Um, people are dying. Um, people need Jesus and people need health. And, uh, and so it's the results matter. And so whether it happens through partnering with people here in the United States or finding other ways to do that in a way that's honoring, I think um, at the end of the day, it needs to happen. Um, and so we'll, we'll make it happen as best we can. Well, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to come on today because 
you know, a great way to wrap this up is thinking about your NFL career, the impact you're having and you had in football and you're having in medicine today. When you were playing in the NFL, Sam Khan, you impacted, you know, a nation of fans for three hours on a Sunday afternoon. Hmm. But like you said, not life and death. Intention didn't matter. You had to produce. But at the end of the day, the impact you had mm-hmm. was to give people, I hate to say it this way, but a, an escape from everyday life to watch <laughs> something they love, right? Yeah. yeah. Today, you are literally trying to impact the future healthcare of an entire nation. Hmm. Yeah. Put that into perspective. They're not even one in the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. I guess making... Um, you know, really, ultimately, both in one sense, you could say they're not one in the same. In another sense, you could say that they are. So it's ultimately meeting people's needs, right? Um, I think football is a good thing. I think as a, as a Christian, I think God loves football for what it does, um, what it can do in so many people's lives from the players to the fans. And so ultimately, we're talking about fulfillment, right? We're talking about joy. And so in the United States, thankfully, we have a good healthcare system, even though it's not the best, but relatively speaking, it's good. And so now people can afford to enjoy other things like a game. And Green Bay is a great example of how a team can bring fulfillment and joy to somebody's life. And so in Nigeria, there isn't a good healthcare system there. And so in that context, I think bringing fulfillment and joy to people's life is, pro- is providing a system that is, that is stable and is good. So in that sense, I would say they're both one and the same. Um, not necessarily, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I think being, being healthy is better than having a winning season. But I think at the end of the day, I think both things are good. Um, yeah, you wrapped it up better than I did. What you, <laughs> what you, what you just said was, both provide a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's joy for a couple hours on a Sunday afternoon, or if it's joy by saving one's life, mm-hmm. giving somebody the health they, they have dreamed of having, you mm-hmm. bring joy to people's lives and you did it in both. You've done it in both of your careers. So from one Packer fan to I'm sure <laughs> tens of thousands of others, we want to thank you for that. Absolutely. Such a joy to be with you. I you really too, bet. And so Sam Khan, one more time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, for everybody else listening in, go check out. We're going to put uh, more information about Jonah's inheritance in the show notes. If, if you've got the financial means, means to support this, um, I think it's an unbelievable initiative to be supporting. So Sam Khan, thank you. Thank you. Uh, everybody else, go bring as much joy as Sam Khan is to have people in your life. <laughs> thank you so much. Really appreciate this.